1: 20 starts right now live from the Nasdaq market Site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pina, Jerry and Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, one hot foreign market is up 57 percent in the past month. But one fund manager who oversees 70 billion dollars in assets says it's a, quote, hot mess. She'll be here to tell us why. Plus, the CEO of Ripple sitting down with us on Power Lunch today. And there is one thing he said that's got the crypto universe in a frenzy. We will break down his comments. So we start off with the market rally today, stocks soaring back after yesterday's losses. The Dow up more than 300 points as the fears of a full-on euro crisis subside and it was small caps leading the charge and as stocks soar, a group of economically sensitive stocks could be telling the true story of the consumer shares of retailers take a look at this raging back check out some of the huge moves and it's across the board names like Foot Locker Tiffany's Lowe's Macy's all up double digits in the past month alone two key questions here should you keep betting on the consumer and what does it say about this rally? Guy.
2: Well, yes is the short answer. And it's interesting you mentioned the small caps because last night we had the Coliseum burning. Remember I Role turned it on and fire, said Rome's Nero, on fire. I said where's Fiddle? Nero, yes. where's Fiddle. I remember that. And you that. said what do you do? Remember that whole thing. Of course mm-hmm. I But do. one of the things we said at the top of the show is you know what? The Russell closed unchanged on the day. Very interesting. Tim said nobody's panicking here. And I think we were pretty uniform across the desk. In terms of the consumer. Doing the show a long time. One thing I've learned: don't ever bet against the U.S. consumer. And Pete did a what do we call that thing when you get the baseball glove? Power pitch. Power pitch. Right, a couple (laughs) months ago, and he did it on Target. And we. (laughs) But it was powerful. It was very powerful. It was Uh, a powerful powerful power pitch. But if you like Walmart at 17 times forward earnings, you got to love Target. And today, Bank of America Merrill Lynch put them on the U.S. One list with an $86 price target. So whether or not the consumer is trapped in it doesn't matter. They will spend, especially if they feel optimistic about this. I mean, this
1: weaves in nicely in the whole tapestry of the U.S. is is the best place to invest, right? I mean, if you look at if you think that there could be or there is turmoil overseas and you want to be domestically oriented. These retailers are really yeah. A, a th- place I think that's probably
3: the sweet spot. So it's a it's a it's a double double tailwind, if you will, with retail because you're trying to avoid that European risk. You're trying to avoid the Italian banks, but across the desk, I think we thought it could have had maybe two more days of a sell-off. I think that today's bounce back really shocked a lot of people, including myself. The retail is a mixed bag. I don't think you can lump in everything. If you look at Walmart, you look at the chart on Walmart looks horrendous. Mm -hmm. Tiffany's was a merchandising thing. Costco will see tomorrow but I think it's a it's a total mixed bag you can't glean anything substantial from it
4: well I think the most important things we saw over the last couple of days was that were that small caps actually hung in there and actually got to fresh they highs today high, yeah. so so when you think about where the US economy is chugging along where tax cuts really are going to help where a sense of, of, of optimism of less regulation it's helping the small business that should be feeding through to consumer discretionary aims if you look at the XRT and you look at the things that have outperformed the s and p since the markets peaked on that Jan 26 blowout off Friday. Actually, you know, the XRT has outperformed slightly. Some of the other names in the discretionary space have massively outperformed. And I would just say on the retail side, we left a lot of these companies for dead. We assumed they were going to be Amazon to death. And that's just not true. I think a lot of these companies don't necessarily have the same business model, but they've remade themselves. Macy is a, is a big name there. And then names like Walmart. Steve, mm-hmm. I, I think Walmart is expensive in this market, regardless of what's going on with the consumer, and I would avoid that.
1: Retail.
5: Retail. I, I, I do love Target. Guy points that one out. I love Home Depot as well. I mean, Home Depot, they actually ran into that tough weather, and that was the last part of their quarter. They
1: are a domestically oriented domestically company. Domestically oriented company, absolutely. I had
5: there. a nice bounce back today. You see the stock, is up a couple of bucks or whatever. And I, I just think that those names across the board, how about TJX, another 52-week high, right. or all-time high, I believe. So when you look at some of these names, can they compete in an Amazon world? That's what we always bring up. And many names can. I think Costco can. I think Home Depot can. I think TJX does. I think Target's going right at them, the same way Best Buy did long ago, I think there are names out there that can absolutely compete and it's not just Amazon's world. We say but it how all much the time. The, how we much know they this is,
3: Home Depot and Lowe's though trade with the with the builders, so their right. tra- charts are a little shaky, but how much of this, to everyone's point, is the effective tax rate when you look at a lot of these retail names? the forward-facing, U.S.-centric businesses versus how good their businesses i tell you are what, doing.
4: I think Lowe's was actually, the, the, in the market's perception of Lowe's and the, and the benefit they'd get from the tax deal, I think they were actually hurt by this. They're actually putting money to work. It actually may push down slightly on margins. Meanwhile, Lowe's is investing in their business. I think of the two, as much as Home Depot's been the outperformer, I think Lowe's is the relative value trade. The other side of all this is the luxury space has been on fire. So consumer discretionary weather, so we've talked about Tiffany, we talked about Ralph Lauren last week, but look across the board, look at an LVMA. And you can see that this global affluence trade is alive and well, and that these names outperform and are trading at peak multiples.
5: I would push back a little bit on the Lowe's Home Depot thing. I love Home Depot. I still think they are the better company. I think they're better run. They I are. think they do a lot they're, better. I know, things there's no on, question on, about that. They the trade at higher multiple. Lowe's has had an absolute tear to the upside, and I think there's a lot of different reasons why that move right. has pushed to the upside. Their, their numbers were nice. But I still think this is one of those names. I'll give you an example. On this pop, I decided I own the stock. I'm going to start selling the heck out of calls against it because I don't think it's going to be able to sustain this kind of a gain at this pace that it's been on. I think it's going to pull back. Uh, How about a really
3: interesting one, and just to switch gears, Tim's been in it. I've been in and out of it. Macy's up 40% year to date. When you look at why they're making money, they're reorganizing square footage. They're renting out floors now. used to be a REIT. It used to be everyone's thinking about, selling off the real estate. Now they're keeping the real estate but they're selling some floors. So they're doing sort of a hybrid model. It's up 40%. It's still a 10 billion dollar market cap. It's probably worth so double that. A, here's
1: a question. Are we taking a look at, at an assortment of retailers that happen to have their own idiosyncratic reasons yes. as to why they're going higher? Or are we looking at a group that is going higher because of tailwinds provided by the US economy?
2: I think like for example I think Macy's like is a like a specifically a, a Macy's story. We rolled off the big box retailers, some of them for good reason. I mean, may. Uh JWN has had its issues sort of hanging in there. JCPenney's been a disaster. But Macy's off the deck at $21, now 35 dollars 5 and getting upgrades by, I think, Susquehanna over the last week or so with a $43 price target. So if you look at it on valuation, and maybe they have figured it out, I still think, despite that move, Macy's has room to the upside.
4: See, I I don't think that the the retail space is doing any better, frankly, than the rest of the market. There are the parts of the market that I think have been overly vulnerable on the downside, which include industrials. But, you know, again, look at Alulu. Look at Foot Locker. Look at these names that were left for dead, and I think the power that these companies have, brands, and they've got established businesses that aren't going away, is why the retail space feels like it's outperforming. But it's really that some of these names were so oversold, and I think it was disproportionate to the underlying. I value. just
5: think people misinterpreted what they were. What, why are they uh, making totally their wrong. money? I it mean, was if a it's a nice trade. But if, mean, it if it was Nike, people were
4: focusing on North
5: America was going down. Well, the actual story there was the growth outside of North America, which was growing for Nike. Each everybody's got their own individual story. Lulu was a great example of that. Male. Started getting after the men's side of things and international. You're, wearing, which right? just, I mean, you're not afraid I'm a big buyer someone. of yeah. Lulu for myself. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. The, the, reason why, yeah. the reason why retail ran, though, you
3: hit it on the head, is everyone thought that Amazon was going to crush retail. Right. That didn't happen. Everyone thought we we're going to have that border adjustment tax. That didn't happen. So there were a number of headwinds that have dissipated or at
5: least died down. And that's another reason why it's a tailwind. And for the good companies space. have figured out how to compete on the online side. It doesn't mean they're beating necessarily Amazon, I think some of them are. But the really efficient companies are going right after Amazon online, and that's why they're winning. All
1: right. Well, our next guest says there are three retail stocks to buy right now. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of tradinganalysis.com. Hey, Todd. Hey,
6: Melissa. Uh, First, let's uh, pick up on Walmart here. Uh, We're looking at the weekly chart. And first thing I want to draw your attention to is over here. This is a log scale. When you're doing your technicals at home, it's really important to, to switch over to that. That's a $25 move here. That's a 20, this is actually more like a $40 move here, but it's the same distance, okay? So just keep that in mind, it stretches out the trend line. When you actually do draw a trend line on the log scale, you're gonna see that we have held support right around the $80 level in Walmart. So technically with all the the big selling we've seen in Walmart, it's held. So as we get off the weekly there, head over to the daily, Keep in mind that trend line that we drew up on the weekly, it's going to come in right at about this angle here. And what you'll notice is we've approached, and if you really look at the characteristics of the bars here, we've lost the momentum. We saw some really strong selling here. And then Walmart, as we're approaching that trend line, has just kind of petered out. And that's evidenced by the relative strength index, What you're going to see is there's a low momentum reading here. At a higher one here, we've made it a, lo- a higher low where price continues to make an- a lower low. It's just like when Pete stands up here with the baseball, you throw it up in the air, it's gonna continue to go up, but at a slower rate of change. That's the same thing that's happening here except upside down, so we've lost momentum on the way. So I like Walmart into the $80 level. Next one up, much simpler, is Ulta. We do have earnings tomorrow. Ulta looks very solid coming from the lows here. This is a beautiful Elliott Wave pattern. We have a first push up for one, consolidation in two, Beautiful move up in three, and it looks like this little consolidation happens to be wave four. Heading into earnings, I think we're going to have a wave five push up. I think option markets are expecting a $15 move higher or lower. That's going to put you up to about 275 uh, for earnings tomorrow if it's a strong number. Next one, finally, also you guys were just talking about, it was Costco. Also, earnings tomorrow, same thing. A beautiful consolidation here, just around the $200 level, showing really good relative strength as the overall market showed a lot of volatility. Again, earnings expecting a $5 move up here. I put this earnings trade on here at the close uh, for that $5 move up at Costco, so I'm long tomorrow for earnings.
1: Obviously, Todd, you like these three individual stocks, but I'm going to ask you the question that I asked the panel. How does the sector look compared to these these individual stories? Are we just pointing to various idiosyncratic stories uh, that make the stocks look good, or is the sector as a whole doing well? I feel
6: like it started out as a short-covering rally because brick-and-mortar retail was so hammered down, obviously, as you guys are talking about with Amazon taking over the world, but sort of as that short-covering momentum started to pick up, buyer psychology, market psychology started to change, the fundamental narrative, the thesis started to change, and it looks like the sector as a whole, which started as a short-covering on poor fundamentals, has begun to improve. Whether the fundamentals sustain and they can take Amazon and leave that for you guys to decide. But from a technical point of view, this rally does look sustainable for now.
1: All right, Todd. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Todd Gordon of tradinganalysis.com. Which of the three picks, Guy, do you like? I
2: like Alta, and I know they report tomorrow, but you look valuation-wise. This is a company that has probably 25% EPS growth trading, 11 times forward earnings, flushed down to 200 last summer, tried it again this year, held. Jim Cramer, I just think, had the CEO on back in March, $650 million buyback. I know they report tomorrow. I know you're going to see a big move, but I got to tell you something. Valuation-wise, I think they figured it out. I think the sell-off is overdone.
1: There's a big rally back today. So, Pete, what would you do, and you make a financials because financials did yeah. not recoup their losses right. compared to the S&P. But let's S&P not forget that yesterday,
5: the biggest move in the 10 year since Brexit. Right. And so it pulled down the financials because the sure. algorithms, in my opinion, are so connected to that. They're looking at the 10-year, it starts to move, algo starts selling all the financials. I actually bought a financial today, did. so, uh, but I, I might tease that out because I'm actually you using it later on yeah, for the yeah. pitch. So I'm not going to mention that one. I'll mention it later. How about that? What is it AK Steel, I did buy a little bit of that. Uh, I thought, you know what, Tim and I were talking about the Steels beforehand. I We, had, we saw some activity in there. I jumped on some of that. Mm. I also bought Nike. And there's one other one, Celgene, in the biotech world that I actually bought.
4: I actually nibbled in financials, and I, you know, I looked at J.P. Morgan and I said, "This is the best of breed. These are the guys that basically haven't traded through the 200 to go all the way back to Brexit. It's actually had held that level." And I just, you know, yesterday's reaction was just that. I mean, bonds came into the sell-off, um, essentially, well, well, sorry, into this this flight to quality, well oversold. This was a big move. We even had an outside reversal in the dollar today, and I actually think that the dollar is going to hold ground here.
3: Two names that were oversold, two names that I bought, Snap, Tesla, held on to them. They're finally getting signs or showing signs of life.
1: All right, still ahead, global turmoil raging around the world. Top strategist Rebecca Patterson says there is one market that's a hot mess and one that's a hot trade. She will reveal those picks. Plus, Pinajerian here stepping up to the plate. He just mentioned he's got one under-the-radar bank stock he thinks is about to take off. He will tell us the name in the fast pitch. We are live from New York City's... (laughs) (laughs) In Times Square, much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got breaking news out of Washington, D.C. Let's get to John Harwood with the latest. John.
0: Melissa, Dow Jones is reporting that the Trump administration has decided to end the exemption for our allies at the European Union for those steel and aluminum tariffs he announced some time ago, uh, 25 percent on imported steel, 10 percent ON IMPORTED ALUMINUM. NOW, I HAVE NOT BEEN ABLE TO CONFIRM THIS INDEPENDENTLY WITH THE WHITE HOUSE, HAVE NOT HEARD BACK FROM THEM, BUT THIS TRACKS WHAT AN AMBASSADOR FROM ONE OF THE E.U. COUNTRIES TOLD ME JUST A FEW DAYS AGO, THAT THEY FULLY EXPECTED THE ADMINISTRATION NOT TO uh, EXTEND THAT EXEMPTION FOR E.U steel and aluminum. So when you combine that with their announcement about China uh, earlier today, you see that the uh, trade war, which uh, Stephen Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, had said uh, some uh, days ago was on hold, is no longer on hold. It is fully engaged. And we'll see what sort of response we get from the European Union, barring some last-minute compromise between the United States, the Trump administration, and the EU.
1: All right. Thanks very much, John Harwood. Uh, And take a look at those moves in the after-hour session. Uh, Tim?
4: Well, th- think about how the roller coaster US Steel has been on. Obviously, uh, rallied substantially into this announcement of 232, got a boost that day, and then traveled down 30% because people remember a couple things. They remember the Bush steel cuts, our tariffs, uh, and what happened to steel companies. And the assumption is, it's kind of like how they treat the airlines. They assume, give them an inch, they'll, 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 or give them a mile, they'll hang themselves with that inch, however you want to say this. These are guys that haven't been trusted with capacity. Meanwhile, Fundamentals in the steel sector are fantastic right now, and I actually think U.S. Steel is a buy without that. It's a buy with this news, and, in fact, I'm long the name.
5: Yeah, it sure does help, and we did see that paper. We were talking about AK Steel. Yeah, you yeah. and I had that on yep. the uh, closing bill, sure. and we talked about June it a minute bell. ago. Yeah. But that, Cleveland Cliffs, and U.S. Steel, a lot of paper has been coming in there, option paper, and that right. means... Shorter term, people are just looking for any kind of a bump. Maybe this is the kind of bump they're looking for if they get it, but maybe a little bit more than
1: this. If you were point. in the trade, would you take it off? I'm in the trade oh, in AK you, Steel yeah.
5: and Cliffs. And, uh, would not you take ready
1: to it off take it. on this 3% move? No, absolutely not? not. No,
5: I think there's more upside. Because they've been running already.
3: 10 to 15%. To, to Tim's point, every time they announce one of these headlines, they run 10 to 15% and then to Tim's so point again, they come back in. Or? Yeah, I, I would say I, that huh. you probably have
2: another 10%. few things. Give them a... A what? mile, they, and they hang themselves, themselves with it. I mean, the
4: mixed metaphors playing <laughs> all over the place. That's truly the point. That was the genius. Man, that's the genius of what he's They're last all they're over the
2: map. Good yes, point by hashtag.
4: That's true.
2: You know, steel stocks were ripping into March. We all talked mm-hmm. about it. The announcement came out. U.S. Steel was forty-four dollars, traded down to thirty-three. But the fundamentals of these companies did not change. Cleveland Cliffs is now back above eight bucks. I think an analyst just put a ten-dollar price target on it. If you back all this noise, which I happen to think it is out, the Fundamentals matter and the valuations are ridiculous. So I think the clips can trade higher.
5: I would say this because of the volatility that we're talking about here though and everybody mentioned that that's why I think the options are the better way to go right now because you could be facing yourself feeling like you absolutely bought the top. We all sudden see a sell off. It's the options.
4: You can actually swallow that if it's in the stock. This could be pretty not with AK steel. That's well, the same price. Yeah. Well, steel prices are 900 bucks a ton, folks. This yeah. is such a great environment for steel companies. Look at that Philly Fed at that, side. that beige book At what today? point. Do we get concerned adjustment. about the flip,
1: the flip side scenario? And that is the people who use the steel. We heard that in the beige book today that they're seeing increases, right? Price increases in their commodity commodities, steel and aluminum specifically. And here possible. we are talking about the great environment for the steel producers. Not a good environment for the steel buyers. Well, I
4: will tell you what, it's still a fantastic environment when you think about the industrial production numbers. Look, The bottom line, as we heard from the beige book, is that there's a lot. Of industrial work there, we're having trouble filling jobs around in this yeah. country, and I think ultimately that is going to play into it. And yes, buyers uh, are very concerned about all these trade talks, but uh, I think bottom line here is this is a great environment for these guys. Second half for U.S. Steel will be unbelievable.
1: All right, coming up Italy roiling socks around the world, and there's one global market that a top strategist is calling a hot mess. <laughs> it might not be what you think. Rebecca Patterson joins us right after the break. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
5: The bank stocks have been getting crushed, but Pete Nigerian says one of them could rally 20% over the next year. He'll give you the name. Plus, it was the question every crypto fan wants to know.
1: Is XRP a security or is it a commodity?
5: We'll tell you what the CEO of Ripple said when Fast Money returns.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We all know the saying, there's no place like home. Well, if you've been looking at how markets around the world have performed this year, those words may not be too far from the truth. Breaking it down to someone who is truly an international
7: man of mystery. Dom Chu back at headquarters, with the details. Hi, Tom. Well, I, I may or may not be an international man of mystery, Melissa, but there is a mystery around whether the U.S. is the market of choice when it comes to times of stress sure we know that our stock markets fell yesterday but on a relative basis they did better than some other developed and developing markets out there and while the broader s p 500 is still around five percent below its record highs that pullback hasn't nearly been as bad Uh, as some other parts, right? The Nikkei 225 in Japan has now fallen by 9% since its most recent high back on January 23rd. The Bovespa in Brazil on the emerging side is down by around 13% since its high back on February 26th. And of course, the, the FTSE MIB in Italy, the stock market, PERHAPS CLOSELY TIED TO ALL THAT POLITICAL TURMOIL IN EUROPE IS NOW LOWER BY AROUND 11% FROM ITS HIGH, AND THAT WAS JUST BACK ON MAY 7TH. THAT'S JUST THE LARGE CAP SIDE OF THINGS. NOW, SHOULD WE EVEN MENTION THE FACT THAT THE RUSSELL 2000 SMALL CAPS HIT ANOTHER RECORD HIGH IN TRADING TODAY, AND BY THE WAY, IT LOST ONLY 2% FROM ITS PREVIOUS RECORD HIGH GIVEN ALL THE TURMOIL IN MARKETS DURING THE PAST WEEK. THE S&P 400 MID CAP INDEX IS LESS THAN 2% ON RECOVERING ITS OWN RECORD HIGH. NOW, THERE IS little doubt that in the event of a market crisis, stocks in the U.S. would take a hit. There is a debate about whether or not, in the end, Melissa, the U.S. stock market is the risk asset market of choice on a relative basis should things hypothetically go haywire. Back over to you guys.
1: All right. Thank you, Dom. Dom, Chief back at headquarters. For more, let's bring in Rebecca Patterson, Chief Investment Officer at Bessemer Trust. And Rebecca says the U.S. is the best place to be right now. Rebecca, was this also prior to what was going on in Italy?
8: Yeah. So we've been overweight the U.S. for a little bit, really for two reasons. Right now, it's partly because of the tidal wave of stimulus coming at U.S. companies and the economy, which we think is largely but not necessarily fully priced. And then there's the defensive element, which is what Dom was getting at. What we've found over the last few decades is when you have market panic, even if the U.S. causes the panic, the U.S. tends to outperform. And some of that is Americans bringing money home in times of stress, and we bring a lot of money home. And then it's also that capital repatriation lifts the dollar. So if you look at currency in total return that stronger dollar plus the liquidity of the U.S. market tends to make it a better performer, even if it's 08, where it was the U.S. that led the charge.
1: In terms of the tax reform not being fully priced, in, are there specific sectors that you're looking at that you think really are not reflecting, and when do you expect that? Is that like a a third-quarter story, a fourth-quarter story? So I
8: I should be clear, and I probably misspoke. It's not just the tax reform, it's also the February spending package. So the $300 billion that's going into the economy over the next two years A lot of that goes into government agencies. And so you think about it, if the Department of Defense or Department of Labor gets a check saying, here you go, go spend it, it's not going to go in the ground on day one. It's going to take months, maybe even quarters, before they start getting that money to work. And we've seen that historically as well. So I think there's a good chance, to your point, Melissa, Q3, Q4, even in early next year, you're going to continue to see some of that feeding into the economy.
1: And then as one more layer, within the U.S., do you like more domestically oriented companies or multinationals which could actually be I don't want to say affect well affected by whatever was going on abroad
8: I mean I still think the global economic backdrop is pretty solid broadly speaking growth might have slowed a little bit this year versus the end of last year and certainly this quarter versus the first quarter but still if you look at purchasing manager indices business confidence surveys leading indicators we're still looking pretty good globally so I don't mind having global exposure but again for both the stimulus and the defensive reasons I like having some of the domestic names.
1: Okay. Well, Rebecca's a friend of Fast Money. It's huge. Very Rebecca good likes to play games. Oh, and come so on. We <laughs> thought we'd play a game. We like to call Hot Mess or Hot Trade. We'll name a country for you, and you tell us that that country is, uh, market right. is worth a buy. Do I so. get to spin a wheel? <laughs> Not this time. You've got to work yourself up all to right, that. All, all right. right. So uh, Hot Trade or Hot Mess Did you trade it? First up, Italy. It is down 10% this month. Hot Trade or Hot Mess?
8: We're going to know over the next couple of months, but I think it's messy enough that I would prefer to put my money somewhere else right now. Ooh, <laughs>
2: hot mess. Like that's what it. Can you teach her the rules? Lead oh, yeah. with all hot right. mess, hot trade.
4: That's mess. no, no, listen, listen, if
2: that was me, you'd be all over. Oh so that's you. Don't go there. Don't you go, go her there. Don't go there. Lighten up for All now. right, moving
8: on. Give her another chance. Give her another chance. It's a mess. Because if there is a decent probability you get a populist government, if you get a populist government, it's gonna be very hard for the ECB, the central bank, to continue buying Italian bonds as part of its qual- quantitative easing program. If you don't have the ECB keeping yields low in Italy, Italian banks are gonna have a hard time. Wow, she shared you a there, mess. There. She could uh, she, she right. play the boom. game. China, hot <laughs> trade or hot mess? Uh, hot trade. And this is why I think that. I know we're facing a lot of trade anxiety right now, but I look at China with two angles here. One is that the government understands its stability, relies on economic growth that keeps the people happy. So you will continue to see the government taking fine-tuning actions to make sure growth slows only in a moderate way. There's always risk. We know that. But overall, I think you get moderate slowdown in growth. That's good for the consumer. But on the technology side, Made in China 2025, we know America, some Americans are very nervous about this. There's a lot of angst around it. But when you have the Chinese government pushing these tech companies and saying, you play nice in the sandbox with me, President Xi, and I will let you thrive and prosper, to me, having the government at your back instead of in your face is a good thing. Yep.
1: This one is interesting. Okay. Venezuela. Oh. Of 57% this month, of course, the currency is collapsing. Maybe the government is a mess, but is the trade hot? Is it a hot trade or a hot mess?
8: I think it's a sad mess. I I mean, no pun intended here. I mean, it's it's gone beyond economic crisis. It's a humanity. I know it is. I'm sorry. Yeah, we need new sound effects. (laughs) That's not me.
5: I got no control (laughs) over that. Stop.
8: (laughs) Moving on. So, you know, you have hyperinflation. You have a currency spiraling out of control. Uh, You if there are opportunities to buy some of these, these opportunities, like Italy, 2012, you had a catalyst. It was ECB President Draghi saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Right. Brazil, 2016, you had a weak currency, a weak stock market. You got some clarity around politics, it was, but there were catalysts. What's the catalyst in Venezuela that's going to make you confident you've turned a corner? I don't see one anytime soon. Rebecca, thank you. You're Thanks welcome. For playing the game I'll us. learn. I'll get the rules no, done next time. She, she did it. a great job. She did a
2: great job. Curry just, I know, not not really a, She just took her point. down. In yeah, the first I didn't yeah. say Come
1: it's on. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> 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 Rebecca Patterson of Bessemer Trust. Ambassador, we go to you. Well, it's
4: fun to, to agree with Rebecca, especially when she, I think, is dead on. I mean, first of all, Italy's not cheap enough. If you think she talked about 2012, Italy got to seven times. It's still 20, 12 times earnings. It's not cheap enough for me. I think this noise hangs over us, and 50% of that market cap is energy and banks. I don't think so. Um, I think in China, look look how resilient Alibaba and some of the mega cap tech names have been while emerging markets are down 10% with our markets. So um, I do think you could stay in those trades. And frankly, uh, I think emerging market tactically, if the dollar holds here, there's a short-term trade at a minimum, and you probably ride it higher.
2: My concern, and Rebecca's gone so I won't bring her back into the conversation, or but my concern is the problem with European banks, specifically Deutsche Bank but others, Barclays, is it systemic or is it just those banks specifically? I tend to think there's bigger problems and the stocks tend to b- believe me as well. Deutsche Bank has been grim death, bounced today, but it bounced on what was a pretty good tape. I still think there's pain in European banks.
3: The only thing I buy off U.S. territory yes. is Asia, and I play that through Alibaba. So Alibaba's up 14% year-to-date, knocking on $200, <laughs> and a bunch of price targets much higher than $200. Stay in
1: Alibaba. Would you? Would you? Yeah. I totally agree with Steve, yeah, by with the Alibaba. way. J.D., right, Baba, right.
5: some of the names over in the Asian markets, but I don't see any reason why we'd go the other places that everybody brings up. I, I, why would I want to go? Many, anyway? why how many I...
1: strata have we on, had on CNBC? You yeah. see them everywhere. We like Europe. Right. Europe is cheaper than the and U.S. on a yeah. basis, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Blah, blah, right? Blah, blah, blah. Yep. Now that seems like it was a consensus trade that it, didn't work out was, in 2018. It did not
5: work out, and it has not worked out so far. And yet everybody always wants to. They, they're all trying to find the bottom, right? And then I think that's the problem is they're they're literally fishing and not it. Was it was cheap for
3: a reason, and now they're finding out the reason. Right. It's about the fundamentals.
1: Let's stick with global markets. One trader made a big bet that the emerging markets are about to heat up. Our very own Dan Nathan joins us from the Code Conference in Rancho Palos Verdes, California, to break it all down. Hey, Dan.
9: Hey, guys, how are you today? Yeah, that was an interesting conversation about EEM, emerging market ETF uh, that tracks emerging markets. You know, you guys are talking about BABA a lot. BABA shows great relative strength, but the EEM is down almost 14 percent from its 52-week highs made in January. Put volume today was pretty hot, um, two times that of calls. And like you said, Mel, there was a bullish trade that caught my eye. Today, when the ETF was trading 4560, there was a buyer of 13,000 the June 29th Quarterly 47 calls paying about 32 cents for those, those break even up about 3.7 percent on June 29th. Close when you look at the EEM, I mean, we're talking about hot mess, or is it a buy? I don't know. This chart is pretty interesting. Look at the one year, look at the downtrend that it has been in since late January, look at where it held yesterday at the exact bottom back in February. And then if you took a look at the five-year chart, look at that downtrend where that $45 support intersects with the uptrend from the 2016 lows. This is a pretty critical bounce that it had yesterday or excuse me today. And so if you're playing this for a hot trade, I think it makes sense to define your risk and play with calls.
1: I don't think it's cool when they like ask for the stamp when they're not part of the game and they I like want Dan to play the game. game though. He's not even here. He just brings he's, himself. He's ready in. to go hot
4: mess. He's ready yeah. to go hot trade. I mean, you know, it wasn't anyway,
9: anyway, for him to be. You'll get
1: your stamp, Dan. There it is. It. All
4: right.
9: can't play the game. He, he just oh, got okay. stamped.
1: Yeah, he got stamped. Wait, wait, okay. wait. I want
9: to play one more. One more. One more. Guy's shirt tie combination. Aren't
1: gonna get the stamp. What's about?
9: As he can't even
4: see guy. I love how Pretty good shot. That is. Oh, was a bet. great call Thanks, Thank for him because he knows.
1: Dan Nathan from the Code <laughs> Conference. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5 30 p.m. Eastern Time. I think that sound effect was a dying cow. Effect. I don't know what that uh, was. Coming up, is Ripple better than Bitcoin? The CEO of the controversial cryptocurrency making the case for his coin on CNBC's Power Lunch earlier today. We will bring you those comments. Plus, Pete is bringing the heat, getting ready to pitch the one bank stock he says is about to rally 20%. What is it? The name when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in April of 2017, Pete said J.P. Morgan was going to break out.
5: I like the strategy. I like companies that are buying back their own stock. This is not financial engineering. They find their stock to be one of the best places to put their money, and it's worked pretty well.
1: Pete was right. It was a good place to put your money. J.P. Morgan cheers up 24% since then. Pete? You're still in
5: this. I love this name, but I'm not in it. Huh. I think there's better opportunities other places. He's I not think JP stay in Morgan a stock had a, for a year and a I
1: mean, in and out, in no, and, out, and, in, and in, out. Yeah, but, but I've yeah. been along a
5: lot of these things. I mean, there are certain stocks that are years now in my portfolio. JP Morgan's not one of them. I love it. I think Jamie Dimon's unbelievable. I love the fact that he bought his own stock. But after this big rise and it got through that 114, I said, you know what? See you later. There's other places.
1: Well, you know what? You hit it out of the park. So let's cool. hear your next pitch. Pete's. All right.
5: Well, I got another one of these places, and I think that there's even a better opportunity than we had in J.P. Morgan back then. So, I'm going to pitch you guys Ameriprise. Oh. Ameriprise is pretty interesting. It doesn't come up a lot, but what I really like about this company is we always start with the management, the C-suite. When you look at what they have done, that's the same CEO since 2001. By the way, Guy, this is a company based in... Minnesota. So anyway. What a surprise. Yes. I know that shocks all of you guys. But the CEO's been there since 2001. He's been directing this company. In 2005 it was a $35 stock when they were spun off from American Express. Then it went up all the way up to 180. Here today it's trading around 140. Had a very good day today. But I like what the management actually offers as a company. I'm going to come back to them in a second. The other thing is the fundamental story. This is a company that's actually bought back 31% of their outstanding shares in the last decade. That tells me a lot about what they're doing with their money. They have incredible cash flows. Look at this. Trades at a 10 times P.E. This is a company that I think when you look at the dividend stream as well everything seems to add up to why don't I own this name. So today, I decided to buy this name. Strong earnings growth, strong revenue growth, and one of the metrics that I didn't bring up but I was talking about the C-suite that I'd like to point out, the CEO on May 10th bought a million dollars worth of stock. The CFO on May 2nd, bought $500,000 worth of stock. So these are commitments at $134 and $136. If we can pull up the chart real quick, I'll show you where the stock has been all over the place. But you can see this high level. Now, the financials, obviously, we've seen some of this pullback. But this is a stock that was trading just over $180 a share, got down here. I think there's still opportunity. It just started to move once again, and I think because of that, this is a stock that can go to $170 a share.
3: So, Pete, it's down. you just nailed what what my concern is. When I'm looking on a chart, uh, it looks like a descending trend line there, Mm -hmm. if you look right behind you, and it's down 70% year-to-date, and it's below all of its moving averages. It just bounced off its 50-day. It's still below the 50. So why? should I feel bullish about it when it can't get positive and it looks like it's rolling over on momentum?
5: Well, I think it's like the rest of the financials, quite honestly, Steve. I mean, we talk about all the the other financials. This is primarily asset management, right? 70% of what their business is. The other 30% is life insurance. I think from the asset management side, with a little bit more volatility in the marketplace that we're starting to see now, I think they're going to be able to deploy this in a different way and start to move back up. If you look at the earnings growth projections going forward, They are stair-stepping higher, higher, higher. And I think because of that, this stock is way too cheap right now.
1: Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Ameriprise Financial? Amp. Tim,
4: what do you say? Yeah, and I I put a pitchfork in Pete's hand, not because he's shoveling it, because he likes to move mulch around like I do. That's (laughs) not the point here. The point here is I think Ameriprise is actually cheap to its peers. I actually think the long-term care overhang is overdone. I'm a buyer, Pete.
3: Grasso. So I'm going to say sell, although it pains me to say oh, okay. sell, hey. but I would also say that if it jumps above its 58 moving average, it's called 142 and
2: holds that level, then I turn buyer. I mean, American yeah. Gothic notwithstanding with Tim. See what I put there, Mel? Oh. I'm amp. That's much more clever, clever than his pitchfork, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> although their assets under management have not really grown all that much, look at the EPS growth. To Pete's point, the last four quarters have been exceptional, and I do think this stock should trade more towards 190 than current levels now.
1: All right, two buys, one sell here on the desk. Are you out there buying Pete's pitch for Uh. Ameriprise? You can vote in our Twitter poll right now at CNBC. Fast Money we will reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, we're heading back out to the Code Conference in California. CNBC's Carl Quintanilla is there. He's got a big interview with restaurant mogul David Chang coming up. Hey, Carl.
10: Hey, Melissa, you know CodeCon's all about uh, tech and media. You mix in food and you got a recipe for David Chang of Momofuku fame. We're going to talk to him here in California at CodeCon when Fast is back in a couple of minutes.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. You're looking at a live shot of the Code Conference in Rancho's Palos Verdes, California, where some of the biggest names in tech and media are gathered. CNBC's Carl Quintanilla is there sitting down with restaurant mogul and Netflix star David Chang. Carl, take it away.
10: <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, restaurant uh, star and Netflix mogul are, <laughs> or some variation of the two. Thanks, Melissa. David Chang, it's great to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Carl. Uh, what an amazing day. I mean, I was, we said it before the break, you've been at the intersection of food and media for a while now, and everything that this conference is about how competitive it all is. Mm-hmm. So how are you making decisions on who to dance with when the opportunity arises?
11: Man, uh, I think part of it is someone that's gonna give us the freedom to express ourselves in like the best way possible. And when we talked to Netflix, that was like a no-brainer. They gave us carte blanche to, to, to create the best product possible. And I think that's the best way I could describe it. Partners that wanna be committed to excellence.
10: Ugly Delicious is a huge hit, Uh, although, do we know that for sure? Did they end up giving you any metrics at all on performance?
11: I can't talk about anything, because I don't know that much about it. They're very tight-lipped, but they've been incredibly supportive, and we're, we're having an ongoing conversation. But I think, hopefully, there's going to be good news around the corner.
10: Every conversation about Netflix is followed by the amount of money they're spending on original content, or even just the number of shows they're launching per year. I think it's like it averages out like one every 12 hours in the course of the year. So, how much do you think about? Well, is my, am I being placed in a good space by the algorithm? Am I being curated the right way? Am I are the right people seeing me?
11: You know, that's a question I have with my culinary team as well. With increasing competition in basically every every part of life, right? Like, I think quality will win. Content uh, will win. So, we have to just make the best product possible and worry about everything later. And if you build it, they will come. That's the cliche, but I do believe it's true.
10: Yeah. Uh, you've done some work lately with Amazon. Uh, you got a sauce that you're distributing through them, <laughs> through Whole Foods, but eventually Costco and Walmart, too. Yes. Does that make you nervous? Because package- yeah, I'm getting nervous just talking. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. You're right. I did. I oh, know, because packaged goods are challenged. Right? Distribution
11: is hard. Yes. And, you know, we were making the sauce ourselves for a few years. And then, again, when you find a partner that can not only make it better than you, but has the distribution, that was a no-brainer to, to team up with Kraft Heinz, and then have Amazon as the exclusive partner to do the initial launch. Like, I can't write a, a script that's more favorable for us to get what we believe is a great product in sauce.
10: Difference in working with Amazon than in working with Netflix? How would you, um, how would you say that?
11: Man, like, one's, one does retail and the other makes content. I guess they're the same, but I think I'm the wrong guest to give that
10: answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, really quick, the Me Too movement has wrapped up
11: some celebrity chefs. Yes. What do chefs say about that? Um, I think we're in a period of still listening and being patient because I think the chefs want to have a dialogue as a whole. Um, The culinary industry needs to improve, right? We need to get better. My own company, we can all strive to get better, to create a more fair, diverse, inclusive workplace. And for a long time, the culinary arts was sort of in the dark ages. And we're in 2018. And it's time everyone grows up.
10: Finally, a buddy of mine here was saying that reservations for the LA restaurant, impossible to get. It's like, it's like a ticket, buying a concert ticket. You go on, they're wiped out for the month. What do you, how do you think about that? I don't know, do you consider it lost business? Um, How do you manage that sort of tight capacity?
11: Well, I mean, first of all, we're thankful there's the demand, and yes, there's always ways to monetize that, but I'm gonna hold off on doing that. And you mean
10: expanding kitchens
11: or? or? Or just like, I think reservations is a hot ticket in, in restaurants uh, in tech right now, um, doing the prepaid stuff. There's, there's many great companies that are doing it, uh, but just trying to figure out what's the best contract with the guest. And uh, we're just trying to collect as much data as possible before we make that decision. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a long process. Mm.
10: You got your hands in so many things. We can't wait to hear what you're going to say on stage. (laughs) David, thanks. Thanks, Carl. Good to see you. David Chan of Momofuku. Melissa, back to you.
11: All right. Thank
1: you, Carl. Carl Quintanilla joining us from the CodeCon out in California. Still ahead, the CEO of Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, calling Ripple better than Bitcoin on PowerLunch earlier today and answering the burning question on every crypto trader's mind. Is it a commodity or a security? Find out what he said when we come right back.
4: We're seeing customers like Western Union, Moneygram, they're leaning in and using our tools to solve a, a payments problem. And this payments problem is measured truly in the trillions of dollars. So while we're on kind of you know mile marker one of a 26-mile marathon, we're definitely past the starting line.
1: That was Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse on Power Lunch earlier today when I asked him about the future of Ripple and how XRP, the cryptocurrency, could be used. And according to BK, what you just heard Garlinghouse say is the biggest thing investors are missing about Ripple. BK's over at the Plasma to break it all down. Hey, Beeks. Hey, Melissa, thanks for that. Yeah, so
12: Brad had some interesting things to say, and I thought it was really important to break down what he's talking about and what the opportunity, at least that Brad sees, and I think ultimately could be the bull case for, for Ripple. So let's break it down. Talking about the size of the payment markets, according to McKinsey, it's about $155 trillion is the size of the market. So your total addressable market is massive. Right now, if you take a look at what it costs to move $155 trillion, it's about $31 billion. Roughly around 20 basis points is what it's costing you. So if using Ripple, and this is from Ripple stats, you could save about, according to them, about 60%. Well, how do they do that? So you use the Ripple Ledger plus the Ripple currency. And that's the key to this 60% right here. The reason why using the Ripple currency, if people start doing this, is good for is is the way you save is because right now, banks have to hold foreign currency everywhere in the world. They're called Nostro accounts. It's very cost-intensive to have that inventory around the world. They can simply replace that foreign currency with XRP, and they can save a lot of money on that. So let's take a look at what Ripple's been doing. Obviously, it's been down. I think we have a chart here. Yep. Obviously, down from the peaks up here, right? The whole crypto market has kind of gone sideways here. But what does Louise Yamada say? The bigger the base, the higher in space? In my view, you have to have people start using that XRP, that Ripple currency, in substitute for foreign currency, but that's the utility. That's the use case for Ripple, the currency. If that's the case, then that's a pretty nice base right there.
1: Should we invite BK? Oh, come we... on. Come on. <laughs> have to. All right, Either. come on over, come on BK. On. Water's All right. Dry. Ryan will bring the chair in. Very good. Thank you, Thank you, you, sir. you Ryan. went move the Sharks. Yep. So that is, that's what I was trying to get at with yeah. Brad on Power Lunch today, and that is why hasn't XRP done better? They've been signing up all these contracts, all these financial institutions are getting on board uh, using the Ripple ledger, and yet the currency itself is not reflecting any gain in value. So can you actually, the old saying, I'm a believer in the blockchain but not in the cryptocurrency, maybe right. it, it looks like that's true. Well, in the case it, of
12: so the knock on Ripple is that you can use the Ripple—I should say—the knock on Ripple, if you're a currency investor, is that you can use the ledger without the currency, and that's why that currency has to have a utility. Ultimately, the purest in cryptocurrency will say something like the Ripple ledger actually really isn't decentralized if it's only being used by the banks. Adding that currency in makes it decentralized, and the purest in cryptocurrency would say you have to have the two to go to going together.
1: How is this not decentralized if it's only? I mean. If they sign up, is it only because it's being with, used within a company? Right, because right, it's only okay, being
12: used so within 70 banks right. or 100 banks or something like that, and they're all just verifying their transactions. So ultimately, it's really just a big database. The the power, to me, where cryptocurrency comes in is using that token because then you can really decentralize the software.
1: Are we really waiting for Ripple to be listed on a, on a Coinbase for the next big move? I mean, I is, it, I mean right? There's, it's the regulation that is really sort of gumming up the works when it comes to to Ripple and some of the other coins out there right now.
12: I I mean, and and to that matter, even the ICO space, right? So we've had this regulatory uncertainty. I mean, I think the SEC is taking a very thoughtful approach, but there's still uncertainty out there. And so a lot of ICOs have gone offshore. You don't see a lot of new listings, at least on Coinbase, until there's some clarity around that. Hopefully we'll get that by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, and and that goes to the issue of security versus commodity here in, in XRP. All right, Beaks, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming All in, right coming there. over to the desk. Mm. <laughs> Can't get enough crypto out there. Head over to tradingnation.cnbc.com. Nobel Prize winning economist Robert Schiller just made a bold prediction about Bitcoin's future, and it ain't bright. That's right now on CNBC.com. Up next, Ameriprise prize is up more than a percent in the after-hour session. We'll find out if you at home are buying Pete's pitch when we come right back. Price <laughs> might be an unfamiliar stock to you, but what is familiar, Tony Braxton's uh, on the right by heart, right, sorry. Soulful, uh, soulful ballad of pain and sorrow that Pete knows all too well because America ballad. ain't buying his pitch for Amps. Sorry, Pete. That's okay. Time for the final trade, <laughs> <laughs> Pete. My final trade, Amps. This what? is your oh, punishment. Get him. There, yeah. Pete. Oh,
4: that's right. <laughs> Tim. Tactical EEM, get it long, don't stay long. Grasso. Snap, keep buying it.
2: We got the senior girls from the Academy of St. Elizabeth's and Convent Station right here and the faculty wave, you're on the TV Woo! right now. Congratulations, <laughs> ladies. Uh, freeport MacMoran, that'll get you done, Mel.
1: Congrats to the seniors. How's I'm that Melissa Lee. Right? Thanks seniors. for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Past Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. Oh, nice hey! nice hey! shot.
11: What's on the horizon for financial markets?